There's a great saying that goes like this. Plan for success. Expect some failure. Learn from failure. Well, I, I go back to a story that I recounted in Career of Calling, which is this, there's a point in the book and a point in my life where I had anticipated that the community, this you know million person community that I had created Best Camera, my camera app for, I was anticipating there would be a demand for, you know, lots of updates. Hey, you know, add this new feature to the app and add, and, you know, we were expecting that. And so we baked that into the contract that he had with this developer, our joint venture. Uh, and while I had not anticipated that by baking this into the contract that I was actually signaling a very difficult piece of my future, we also did not understand that the app was going to be so successful that the structure that we had put in place by, you know, releasing a new update for these, you know, for the app every month, that that was not going to be enough to satisfy the community. Without going too far into the details, I'd structured an agreement with the developers based on the idea that the app would take a while to achieve liftoff. There was a revenue split that favored me after the initial investment uh, favored the developer. It was 70-30 for the developer until they were paid off for their time. And then for the rest of the app, it was going to be 70-30 me. So it was effectively the revenue split was going to favor them at the beginning and me on the long tail. Well, what I didn't acknowledge and didn't frankly anticipate was and this to be very clear it was a failure of my imagination and my belief in the potential success of the app that i had sunk you know a year of my life into developing i had not actually considered the possibility of overnight success and nor did i consider that structuring the agreement the development agreement that we have the partnership the joint venture agreement in such a way would actually remove most of the financial incentive for my partner, the developer, to continue to work on it. So again, just zooming out a little bit, the app was so successful that within the first week with 70-30 revenue split that the developer was completely paid for all of the time that they had sunk into developing the app for months and months and months and months before. So there we were now just a couple weeks in the developer had been essentially fully paid off for their work and what happened to their motivation. My thinking was that they, Oh my God, we got a tiger by the tail, but that's not the way app development worked at this time. It was, Hey, we made our money back. Therefore, since we hadn't defined very specifically in the, in the contract, what the deliverables of versions two through 12 say were going to be the app stagnated and the developers um, ambitions were not aligned with the ambitions that I had for the app. And again, it was a contractual oversight in part because I did not envision the success, but the punchline was that the app began to stagnate because we weren't updating it frequently enough. This is something that I learned about failure. The online reaction went from 
you know, a tweet here and there from the passionate fan to actually thousands of people openly requesting updates and feature improvements and whatnot. And the reality of this was I was now unable to give it to them because I had structured an agreement. My relationship with the development team was such that they were not motivated financially to deliver apps ahead of the bare minimum of the contract. They were not motivated to deliver updates on anything more than what the bare minimum of the contract could specify. Now, since I was not the developer, I had no access to the code. It was on their servers. I couldn't migrate this this stuff anywhere else because we were bound by the terms of our agreement, which said it was going to go on indefinitely at a 70-30 split. I couldn't access the app store because they their credentials were the ones that were uploading the software to the app store. I couldn't even update the marketing copy. I was absolutely locked out. So there I was. <laughs> you know, back in 2009 with the app of the year on the Apple iTunes platform, the app store platform, my vision for the future of mobile photography, only a fraction realized having a huge and passionate user base of millions offers to buy the app, to fund it from venture capitalists and publicly traded companies this is like never work again amounts of money that I was offered. And yet I was dead in the water. Maybe even worse is that I was grappling with the shame around not having the insight to structure a contract in a better way than I had. I had been in a rush to structure this agreement and it seemed reasonably tight to me. And yet I'd blown it. I was ashamed of that. And, un, you know, without putting flowers on it, this was a massive failure, right? By the time that Facebook bought Instagram, uh, you know, to be fair, some time had passed, maybe six to 10 months or something like that. They had pivoted when they saw me stagnate from bourbon to this new app. They'd thrown $50 million in new investment from Andreessen Horowitz at it. <clears throat> and sure enough, Facebook buys Instagram for a billion. That is a billion dollar hit to me. <laughs> and despite the frustration, despite the sense of loss, this this horrible sort of pit that I had felt in my stomach, there was some calmness in there, almost peace. I remember turning off notifications on my phone. Um, I remember turning off notifications from feature requests from the app store and just sitting there quietly, letting all of this sink in shortly after that acquisition. I got a lot of calls from friends and said, oh my gosh, did you see that Insta was bought for a billion dollars? And yet, you know, this was, we had beat them to a million users. We had a much better platform. We largely were the first photo app that had the concept of filters in it and the ability to share it, a, 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 a social network based on images. This was, I knew right then, my biggest professional failure. It cost me a billion dollars. More than missing out on a big payment though, I also had this strange sense of missing the joy 
that I would have felt by a future in seeing this work that myself and a handful of really committed people have come to build to be used by, you know, damn near every person with a phone that was connected to the internet. You know, I failed in lots of ways with my best camera app. And again, you can read in great detail on this. You just Google my name and best camera. This was a brutal, painful failure. It hurt. Some days, even a decade or more later, I still feel a little twinge, to be fair. And here's what. Your creative failures are going to hurt too. This is a fact. But do not let the fact that your creative failures are going to hurt stop you from actually putting work out there in the world. Because if you can start to learn to sit with your failures, you will begin to see something different. Time will pass. Wounds will heal. That is assuming you allow yourself to feel those wounds. This is harkens my dear friend, Brene Brown. She puts it best to strip failure of its emotional consequence. She says, that is to scrub the concepts of grit and resilience to the very qualities that make them both so important is to strip them of toughness, to strip them of doggedness and perseverance. Brene is absolutely right. That experience, my failure with best camera taught me so many critical things that I don't know how else I could have learned them. I'm sure the universe would have found a way to teach them to me, but to this day, I find those lessons have been invaluable. And that is one of the reasons they, I, I learned a bunch of stuff there and I put that to use in creative live. I've put them to use in so many other projects since then. And I do have looking back now today, four specific lessons that I learned from my biggest professional failure that I would like to share with you today. Number one, failure is inevitable. We have to show up and face it anyway. I stuck my head in the sand and didn't come out and talk about the, the conundrum, the pinch that I was in. And had I on a reflection, just shared the fact that I was in a problem with the developer, a, a tangle, I probably could have gotten so many other developers online to help me out in a heartbeat because the community of millions would have rallied around me, but I did nothing. I didn't show up. I didn't embrace the failure. Instead, I put my head in the sand and hoped and hope it turns out is not a strategy. Knowing that failure is inevitable, you all of a sudden become able to navigate it in a way that you can quickly respond to that failure with what would likely be a win, right? This active change in your mindset is if you can make that a part of this failure process, I question whether you can actually even call it a failure at that point, right? This is something that becomes our, our it's an action and a reaction. You know, our ability to respond is actually required to produce anything good. Right? If we can have failure be a, a stepping stone, a piece of the process, mentally aware that it's going to happen, that it's inevitable, you're suddenly way more suited, way more able and capable of managing a positive outcome from that initial failure. Look, first time we do anything, we're going to screw it up. Maybe the second, the third, or the tenth. But it is in the stumbling that we develop necessary skills to manage success 
when it comes later on. So again, four lessons I learned. Number one, failure is inevitable. Show up and embrace it. Number two, start easy. The best work, the work that's worth doing requires all kinds of risk, right? There's, you cannot get a risk free life, you know, and this is part of what makes life or starting a business scary, right? It isn't no good to tread lightly and hope that we aren't going to find risk along the way. If you're going for a dip in a cold plunge, by God, get in the freaking cold plunge. If you take 11 minutes to get in the cold plunge, that is going to be one miserable pile of 11 minutes. Think about leaping in with a little shout of joy. Anything that's worth doing, there is risk involved. It's going to feel painful at first, but let's just get that bit over with, right? Start easy. The idea of starting, it seems so scary to take on. So how can you do it in a lightweight way? What's a low stake creative challenge that you can embrace that's just slightly outside of your comfort zone such you can get good at that thing? Again, nobody I know wishes they started later. Think small, small risks, small goals, something that still feels real, but when you succeed or when you fail, you are able to just get up and keep moving. I don't care if you employ mindset tricks, right? Maybe you just assume you're going to suck, assume it won't be good, but then partway through, you're like, you know what? This is actually kind of good. I don't care what your psychology is, starting and finding a way to start more quickly, start before you are ready, that is something I wish I had known. I wish I had embraced my failure right when I saw it coming, went to the universe and said, hey, what can I do? Went to my other peers in the space. I just instead, I was quiet. I lumbered through all of this heavy decision-making it was not easy. I did not look at it as a, as a process that was something that I was capable of navigating and I paid the price. That's thing two. Thing three, the lesson I learned from my biggest professional failure, every failure contains the seeds of future victories. We're never going to know where our future takes us, right? If we could see the future, we, life would not feel much like living. It's just looking backwards that we can see how steps brought us to where we are today, making, making us, you know, feel whole, helping form our, our points of view on life in creating something that has real risk. You become comfortable with fear. You become comfortable with ideas like self-doubt ideas with, you know, shaking your confidence, creating something that has real risk requires sitting with fear, right? Coming to terms with self-doubt. That's, that's a real thing. You're going to wonder whether you've got what it takes or whether you can make the next project work. That's inevitable. And the easiest thing in the world to do with that doubt is to, you know, try choosing an extreme, either a blind faith that everything's going to work out or b relentless doubt that it won't. In, in, in any case, in other words, other people can turn their ideas into reality, but what if I have no agency over my own life? Whichever path, each of us has to find some sort of a middle ground between faith and doubt, and we have to become comfortable there. The fact is that so many factors come together to create success in any creative pursuit, right? That's just that's just reality. We all want to be discovered and judged on our own unique merits, but there's always some other elements that play a role. It's almost 
never just about the work itself. I hear people all the time saying, well, if they judge me for my work instead of who I know or blah, blah, blah. Hey, look, good work is the cost of entry. All these other things, breaking through whatever, you know, getting noticed, recognized, whatever it is, all of that depends on so much stuff, right? Whether that's people skills at one end of the, uh, the, the spectrum or your work skills at another end of the spectrum, whether that's positioning or serendipity or any of these things, but you can either lament these things or you can embrace it, recognize, step back and consider that all of these factors are going to play a role in the career of your future success. So what can you do to emulate what success could look like across the entire spectrum, right? How can you adapt all of these things and create your own approach? How can you be someone who knows a lot of people, who does good work, who doesn't rely on the product to promote itself? A simple shift in mindset is probably going to be the advantage that you need to win. Again, this is all under the heading that there are seeds of victory in every failure. It's up to us to find them, plant them, and cultivate them. Number four, and wrapping up this micro show, how can you embrace the suck? You know, launching any major creative idea or trying to shift the status quo in an industry or launch a, a game-changing platform or program you know, that's anything but easy, right? It's going to feel like you're Sisyphus, right? Pushing the giant boulder up a hill. But that's why it's called work, right? You have to practice this work, stand in not knowing, play through the parts where you do suck. Again, it's not a question of, are you going to suck at some points of this journey? It is that you will definitely suck at some points along this journey. And the, the realization, the recognition, the power comes from acknowledging that you will. Maybe even finding a way to laugh at that mistake or at the point in which you're sucking and then getting back to work. The chances are if other people are laughing at you, that's maybe an okay thing because if they're laughing at you, then they're not working while you are, right? You're beating them to the punchline. If you can make fun of yourself along this journey, if you can embrace the suck as a part of what is going to happen on your path to success and fulfillment, you're going to be better off. One piece of advice about embracing the suck, however, is to not compare yourself to others in this process. That is just setting yourself up to be beaten <laughs> you know, by your psychology to be made a glutton for punishment. If you are comparing yourself to others, even more, you're judging yourself by an entirely wrong standard, right? You are not the voice in your head. I'm going to say that again. You are not the voice in your head. That is a piece, a small piece of an ego whose job is to keep you alive and not happy. And you can choose to turn that off. You can instead choose to compare yourself on any particular day to the best version of yourself. If you are judging yourself on that standard, 
you know what you're capable of. You know that getting up and getting after it again and again and again is the antidote to any negative voice in your head. So instead of listening to those voices in your head and taking them to heart, what can you do to get back to work? All right, replaying those four things, biggest failure that of my career, I learned a bunch of stuff, but tried to distill it here. One, recognize that failure is inevitable. How can you show up and embrace it anyway? Number two, how can you just start? Start easy, start fast. Number three, when you fail, that failure contains the seeds of future victories. How can you look for those seeds, find them, plant them, and cultivate them? Number four, embrace the suck. When you do anything worthwhile, there's going to be a bunch of hard patches along the way. If you can learn to embrace that suck, you're going to be much better off. Now, again, as I look back at my biggest professional failure, that best camera app, I learned how to build a company with aligned incentives. On the backside of that, Creative Live was something that we built and grew and scaled quickly on the back largely of the mistakes that I learned from Best Camera. We worked rapidly and iteratively to improve the product based on what the community wanted and needed. In addition to that, I learned about the dynamics of Silicon Valley. I learned about venture capital, about what it is like to have people make an offer to buy your company and then actually go through with it. I learned that you know technically owning your code and the IP, the intellectual property, that's incredibly valuable, but that alone isn't enough. You still ought to be able to put your hands on it, right? If you own that stuff and it's on someone else's server, look, the list of things that I learned from my best camera experience, I can't even list them in an hour-long podcast. I could never have known that our very first Creative Live class would draw 50,000 people, right? And yet, I was ready to ride the wave because I was open to whatever happened next. So today... In the wake of today's micro show, I hope this has resonated with you, but my beg, I beg you, I ask of you request, I ask of you, I guess my request is that you plan for success, learn from failure, and expect a healthy bit of both. Until next time, it's your friend Chase signing off from the internet. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, Chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together.